Hey, I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. Just no dots in the park, okay? It's not allowed. On today's episode, I kind of nerd out about improv with Canadian treasure and Toronto resident Colin Mockery. You'll hear about his experience with Whose Line Is It Anyway and his newish stage show, Hiprov, which will start a run in Las Vegas in June. You'll also learn why we can't have nice things in Toronto. Well, we can. We just have to wait forever. Plus, what's in a name? You'll get the details on a park in the city with an unfortunate moniker, but there's a really interesting story behind it. All of that coming up on Today in T.O. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you laughed out loud? And I'm not talking an LOL. I'm talking a full belly laugh with other people. Or how about this? When was the last time you played? I'm currently listening to a book called The Myth of Normal by Dr. Gabor Mate. He's a Canadian physician, addiction expert, speaker, and obviously an author. And there's this part that I keep thinking about. When it comes to humans, quote, no other species has ever had the ability to be untrue to itself and to forsake its own needs, never mind to convince itself that such is the way things ought to be. And yeah, we have commodified productivity. We are sold things based on how it might make us feel. We are given tools to connect. And as some point out, we are more disconnected than ever. The book itself follows this very theme. Western countries pride themselves in having a world-class healthcare and education system, a sophisticated grasp of technology, an understanding of the needs of children, parents, folks who are experiencing substance use disorder, or homelessness, for example. And yet, for all of our advancements and knowledge, so many issues, like chronic and mental illness, are on the rise. There's a chapter about early childhood and the fact that kids learn through play. And I'm sure if you're an educator or a parent, you already know this. But I want to take it one step further. You're not a child. And if you're listening right now, you maybe have a job and friends and hobbies, but how often do you play? Several years ago, I set out to become an improviser. I wanted to take all the classes and learn all the things, and it opened up a world of invention, community, teamwork, and yes, fear and sometimes embarrassment, let's be honest, but also fun and laughter. Why am I telling you all of this? Eh, No reason. I'm teasing. The reason is because I had the pleasure of speaking with one of the most successful improvisers of all time. He resides right here in Toronto, and plug plug, he'll be guest hosting on 640 Toronto on Sunday, May 21st, live from 7 to 10 a.m. I'm talking about Canadian treasure, Colin Mockery. And you may know Colin Mockery from the long-running TV series, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And as of late, Mockery has been touring with a show called Hiprov with hypnotist Asad Meki. In fact, starting in June, it'll have a run 
in Las Vegas, which is huge. But with everything, you've got to start somewhere. Well, cast your mind back to the last century, 1980. (laughs) I was at theater school, and a friend of mine was doing a play reading um, at one of the theaters there. And part of the evening was this new thing called theater sports that this um, Englishman in Calgary, Keith Johnstone, had come up with. Um, And I saw it and immediately thought, oh, this is really cool. I'd like to get involved with this. And a couple of months later, a a theater sports league was started in Vancouver. I I joined and that was it. I just kept doing it and never thought that this, oh, this will be the way I make a living. Again, incredibly fortunate, incredibly fortunate that I saw this and it inspired me to do it. And then incredibly fortunate that the show like Whose Line came along and sort of uh, took advantage of that. Yeah. And so you started in a, in a, 1980, last century. Um, yes. uh, but then when, what was the timeline like for Whose Line? Uh, Whose Line was nine, my first show was 1990. My daughter had just been wow. born. She was two months old. And we just um, taped the last season in January. And my daughter has turned 33. So it's been going on for a while. Wow. I knew it was a long time, but I had no idea it was that long. What a like what an amazing success story that is, really. It really is. It's it's perfect. It's um it's perfect in the, the fact that a lot of people still don't know it's on, but they still recognize us from the old days, which is yes. good and, and gives us uh work. And yeah, and you know, I've made great friends uh from the show. It's certainly given me a career. So yeah, it's it's worked out nicely. What makes you a great performer is that you're just so watchable. Like you can give a smirk or a wink um, to the camera or to the audience, and I just feel like people fall in love with you. Um, Do you ever get nervous? Do you ever get stumped when you're on stage? Um, (laughs) Like this question has just stumped me. Um, (laughs) No, I, I, I mean, you get... It's not even nervous. It's before the show, um, or the stage show anyway, you have that sort of flutter of, oh, people have paid good money to come see a show that we don't actually have at this moment. But once I'm out there, it's the most relaxed I am in my entire life, uh, oddly enough, being in front of an audience with nothing. I, I find very relaxing. And I don't get fully stumped. There may be times where I think, okay, I'm not on top of this. Time for me to sort of sit back a little and really support my partner till I can figure out where I am. Yeah, it's improv is one of those things that I I recommend to everybody. Um, and not everybody is good at it, but I recommend it because it isn't just about invention or coming up with something on the spot like so many people think that it is. There's so much about it that is listening. The only reason people think improv is hard is it goes against everything we do as people. You're supposed to listen. You're supposed to, you know, um, make your partner look good. You accept ideas. And that's it. I I mean, it really can't get any easier. But as people, our first thing is to go, no, I think my idea is better. Or I don't know. So it really does help open up the world when you take improv. It's true. And with Hiprov, if you couldn't tell by the name, the idea is that volunteers come up on stage to be hypnotized, which according to Colin, makes them into true improvisers. 
They are present. They are in control. There's no second guessing or judgment. And that sounds kind of dreamy. And if you're listening, thinking to yourself, yeah, right, Danny, I am way too anxious for that. I'm not funny enough, and I certainly would not feel relaxed on stage in front of an audience. Are you sure about that? You know, I try to talk to our um, volunteers after every show, and there was one woman, and she had been our star that night. And she said, you know, I have crippling social anxiety. I have no idea why I went on stage. That was the best hour of my life. I've never felt that in charge. And so she was planning to go uh, check out local improv troops and take classes. And I think pretty much at this point, every city, every town has some sort of improv uh, community in it. It's really odd in a way how much everybody really loves comedy, but doesn't really go out of their way to make it a part of their life. Or somehow it's, it's always undervalued. And it's really an important, it's an essential service. And I think we found out, you know, when we were, people were in lockdown, when we couldn't go anywhere, people were turning to their, you know, their, their comfort sitcoms or watching uh, stand up. It really is an important part of our life. It's sexy in our partners. It's, it's something that I think should have more, um, more respect. Consider this a sign. If you're feeling stuck, if you're looking for new ways to meet people and foster a sense of community, I know I'm making it sound culty, and there are certainly barriers. Classes could be expensive, um, but there are some really great companies here in Toronto, the Assembly, Bad Dog Theatre, the Second City, and I know some of them have payment options if cost is an issue. Learning through play is not just for kids. Coming up, you'll hear about one of Colin Mockery's favorite Toronto spots, and after this, as we welcome spring and summer in the city, it may soon be legal to do something that many other places already allow and you were probably going to do anyway. What can we learn from this silly debate and why does it matter? That's next. Ever wonder why we can't have nice things? I think this should do two things for you. One, it'll show you just how much of a clown shoe operation Toronto City Council can be. And two, how out of touch some councillors are when it comes to the Toronto experience. Full disclosure, I have sipped alcohol in a public park before. I know, gasp. One of the times, it was when I got married in my local park. We signed the papers, we toasted our newfound matrimony, and if I got a fine for that, it would have seriously wrecked my love buzz. Furthermore, and more importantly, other cities do allow this. It's almost as though they give folks the benefit of the doubt and understand that in cities especially, residents don't always have access to personal green space and public parks serve as gathering spaces for all sorts of things. Enjoying a beverage is only one of them. And look, I'm not a narc. I know that many people partake and responsibly enjoy a beer, a wine, a seltzer, whatever. And I love that for them. I love that for us. But of course, when it comes to actually allowing it, and we have this conversation almost every year, the city turns into that person you dated for a bit and then they ghosted. Toronto just can't commit. So two city councillors Shelley Carroll and Chris Moyes tabled a motion that would introduce a pilot program for greenlighting the consumption of alcohol in parks. 
If adopted, city staff would work with counselors interested in bringing this to their respective wards, allowing them to opt in to the pilot. And like I said, this has come up before, uh, several many times. In fact, last year, Josh Matlow, who's running to be mayor of Toronto, tabled a similar motion that would allow you to consume alcohol in a park between 11 and 9 from May 21st to October 31st. At that time, John Tory moved to delay it, and it was voted down. Now, there seems to be two major concerns when it comes to this current idea. One is that by allowing drinking in parks, there will be an increase in littering. The first voice you'll hear on this is Councillor Matlow. The second is Stephen Holliday. A law-abiding citizen who will be responsible will be neither, uh, uh, you know, will neither worsen or improve the situation with respect to whether or not they litter. Uh, littering is a separate decision by people, and frankly, the city should do a, a, a good job and, and, you know, always be raising standards when it comes to park maintenance and cleanliness. But who will do it? Well, hopefully, people won't uh, litter in the first place. When they do, obviously, the city cleans it. So, do you think your motion will result in more people drinking in the park? That, that's not the objective of the motion. That's not the objective of the motion. But do you think it will? I have no reason to believe it will. I mean, unless you choose to. So then do you think there will be more or less litter? I, I actually think that what you are asking is just immaterial to the discussion that we're having today. That being said, though, the kind of people who litter in a park will not care about this bylaw that we're debating today. They are being selfish and they are being irresponsible when they behave that way. Do okay. we have the money to do this? Do we have the money to, to allow people to have a drink with each other? You know, all the things you talked about, the litter cleanup, the bathrooms, and so on, it's all oh. there. Well, to your point, I mean, this is why you would support my position that we need to be realistic about property tax rates to improve the standards of maintenance in our parks. A perfect response to such absurdity, in my opinion. And as journalist Jay Cockburn pointed out on the Chaotic Bird app, there's a microeconomy based around drinking in parks. There's money to be made in collecting empties. And if you've ever plunked down on a blanket on a busy summer's day in Trinity Bellwoods Park or Christie Pitts, you'd know there are people going around picking up what others leave behind and more proactively working with folks to gather the refuse. The other issue brought up to Matlow by Councillor Jay Robinson, and I will warn you, this is where my eyes start to glaze over, is this. Do you think um, drinking in the parks is going to add to impaired driving of throughout no, of our city, not. which is a vision zero? I wasn't finished. Uh, Councillor Robinson. Very concerning for vision zero. Councillor Robinson, we, we have all been supporting Cafe TO, where people can buy alcoholic beverages throughout our city on Main Streets all over the place. Did you support that? Because it, it would be the same answer so, to the same question. So I'm asking you questions. Uh, Madam Speaker, I, I think it's... Uh, Councillor Mallow, this is an opportunity for Councillor Robinson to ask you I questions, agree. not you ask Councillor Robinson. But that, so that is my answer, meaning that, that, that the question is the, it's the same question as if we increase access and availability to having alcoholic beverages at cafes where you buy them, um, you know, why would that be any different? I, I, I don't see any... I've seen no data 
or evidence to suggest that more people would drive impaired. Most people don't take their kids and their toys and go to a park and then get drunk and drive off. That, that, that I got, <laughs> I mean, so. <laughs> this is not a funny subject. No, but, but the question is, 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 is. To drink, drinking and driving in Toronto, a lot. Okay. This is a serious issue in That's our right. city. So my question is, is this potentially going to increase that problem that's already on uh, the rise, no, trending the wrong way? Okay, Councilor that, Robinson, that there's was no your last evidence. question. I, I think two important, like an important issue and then the issue we're discussing today are being conflated. There's no evidence that I'm aware of to support the hypothetical suggestion that uh, Councilor Robinson made. So. Uh, the answer is no, based on all the evidence that I know, and therefore I also have not seen any evidence to suggest that what Councillor Robinson believes might happen is happening anywhere. Okay, so much harder to listen to, but I do think Matlow comes out ahead in my eyes or ears. There's no evidence that by allowing drinking in parks, you would see an increase in impaired driving. And I have a couple of things to say about that. When people take in a Jays game, they might have a drink, a beer. Was there ever a question that some of those people might be then getting in their vehicles and driving back home, perhaps to the suburbs? Could you possibly draw a connection between other events where it's deemed legal to partake versus letting Torontonians responsibly enjoy public outdoor spaces how they choose? Also, back to my earlier point, not everybody has access to personal green space, and not everybody drives or has access to a car. In fact, I would say the majority of people enjoying a drink in a public park on any given day have walked, biked, or taken transit to get there. So where does that leave us? Well, councillors will determine whether they want to take part in hosting this pilot in their wards, as I mentioned. City staff will then propose necessary bylaw amendments as well as identify suitable parks for the pilot and they'll present their findings to the Economic and Community Development Committee by July 6th. Oh, boy. If the recommendation is then approved, then starting Saturday, August 5th until October 9th, you may finally be allowed to legally drink an alcoholic beverage in a Toronto park. Oh, but only in the ones that have been approved by the local councillor. Now, speaking of parks... Earlier, you heard part of my conversation with improviser and Canadian treasure Colin Mockery, and I asked him about his favorite place in Toronto. And at first, he said this. Just totally forgot the name of the park. He figured it out, but I'm not going to lie. I thought he was making a joke. Lung Cancer Park <laughs> is actually, it's a beautiful part of the park. It just, as you, <laughs> as you pull up and see the sign, you go, I... They really should have thought this through a little more. He's being serious. Colin's talking about the Grove, located in Seton Park, which connects Toronto's Thorncliffe and Flemington Park neighborhoods. But why is it referred to as Lung Cancer Park? Producer Glenn Bergonier has the story. Well, officially, it's only known as Seton Park, but it does house the Lung Cancer Canada Grove, which is just south of the intersection at Eglinton and Leslie. The Grove is named in recognition of a joint alliance between Lung Cancer Canada, Toronto Parks, and the Trees Foundation. It was first opened to the public back in October of 2006 and features eight huge limestones that are placed in a circle surrounded by trees. Now this carries a dual purpose. Not only do these limestones represent a symbolic healing circle, 
but the surrounding trees are dedicated to the founding members of Lung Cancer Canada. This partnership that created the Grove is based off of two connective themes, the important role the environment plays in our lives, and that trees are essentially the lungs of the world. And so, just as Lung Cancer Canada wishes to aid those living with lung cancer, it also wishes to heal the world by planting more of these environmental lungs, which are better known as trees. Every tree planted in the grove will act as a tribute to the many individuals and families who have felt the impact of lung cancer in Canada. And although it does represent only a small portion of the many features Seton Park has, it is easily one of the most beautiful parts. And for a donation of about $1,000, donors can have either a tree planted or bench commemorated in their name to honor a loved one who passed away due to lung cancer or to better mark a special event, such as a funeral, an anniversary, or even a birthday. So if you're looking for ways to enjoy the outdoors, learn more about Lung Cancer Canada, and to appreciate the serene beauty of nature, taking a walk through Seton Park and checking out Lung Cancer Canada Grove may be exactly what you are looking for. And who knows, one day while exploring this park, you may bump into somebody like Colin Mockery and better understand why he says this is one of his favorite parks to visit anytime he's in Toronto. I guess it's safe to say that The Grove comes with some breathtaking views. I'll see myself out. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. I'm going to attempt to explain what the heck is going on with transit in this city. And did you know there are more than 100 people running to be Toronto's mayor? And for a lot of them, their campaign could have been an email. Till then, post a link to this podcast in your group chat. I dare you. <laughs>